Welcome, welcome. We're once again blessed to meet here at Kardec Radio for our new report on Life After Life by Alan Kardec. We're basing our weekly study at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time since we're broadcasting live from California, from Northern California, on this beautiful book of Heaven and Hell. Heaven and Hell. The second part of Heaven and Hell has an amazing array of cases that we've been studying in the last few is a new day and we are starting a new chapter. Our new chapter will be dedicated to cases who have taken their lives, spirits who have committed suicide and are reporting back of their experience. It is a huge chapter and I don't mean lengthwise necessarily but subject matter wise. And of course we know suicide is a really big issue in today's days and age, day and age. And we're not even to do it any justice, but we will dive a little bit deeper into what it means to commit suicide from the spiritual perspective. And these cases will help us. And of course the beautiful, publications, the books, the materials that Spiritism offers to us will help us to shed some light on this subject. I want to say hello to our friends who have joined before we dive in deep. And there is Patricia. Thank you so much for joining, dear friend. Lovely to see you again. Renata Casade. So nice to see you, dear friend. So let us begin. Um, before we start with the case, I want to go to the Spirits book for a moment because in the back there is a chapter and that chapter is labeled Earthly Joys and Sorrows. And there we find in chapter one of that chapter, one subsection and it is entirely dedicated to suicide. So if you care to and you feel moved to going to it, um, to research the subject of suicide a little bit more, I warmly recommend that. Let me see, it is on page 528 in the Spirits book. Happy to see you made it home safe from the center. Yes, I did. And so did you, Tony. We had some humongous rain here in Northern California, but rain is easier than snow, right friends? Right, Tony? So, um, Dissatisfaction with Life, Suicide, page 528 on the Spirits book, if you like to read along. Now, there is a book, we'll not go through all of them. We're going to just pick out a few. And please let me know how the connection is, if it's too slow, whether there's anything I need to do. So, here it is, question 944. Do people have the right to take their own life? Do you think we do, friends? Do we have the right to take our own lives? I think all of us who are here know better already because the spirits on high, the illuminated spirits very clearly say no with an exclamation mark, no less. They say no, only God has that right. Those who intentionally against this law, the law that we have no right to take our own lives, that's only up to God. In question 946 then, Alan Kardec wonders, what about those who resort to suicide in order to escape from the troubles and disappointments of this world? So what happens if we just want to escape? We don't like life anymore. 
And the answer is poor spirits who do not have the courage to bear the misfortunes of life. God helps things nor courage. The tribulations of life are meant as trials or expiations. Friends, yes, everything that we experience, the good and the bad, the suffering and the joys, they're part of our life plan and all the pain that we go through in our lifetimes are our expiation from past wrongs, law of cause and effect. And in this lifetime and every each and every lifetime is our blessed opportunity to do undo past wrongs. We've been given this vessel, our physical form, to undo past wrongs and it is a gift from God. So we are not allowed to avoid it in any form or shape. Now in question 948 now, Alan Kardec asks, is suicide committed in order to escape the shame of a wrongful act as reprehensible as suicide committed out of despair? So if we've done some wrong and we feel shame over it and we kill ourselves, is that any different from just killing ourselves because we feel despair? Good question. Well, let's see. The answer is suicide does not erase the wrongs. On the contrary, it is a second wrong added to the first. So there is no winning, friends. If we feel ashamed over our actions and we want to cop out, there is no copying out because we're actually adding another wrong to the first wrong. So we're making matters worse. We're kicking the can, the proverbial can down the road, and that's never good. So then in question 950, Alan Kardec asks, thought of those who take their own life in the hope of arriving sooner at a better life. So what if we want to take the highway to heaven? No, I'm bored with my life. This is not going fast enough. I want to go to heaven quicker. Now, how is that if I take my life under those circumstances? And the answer is another folly, exclamation mark. Let them do good and they will be sure to reach such a state. We're always invited to rather do the good. The doing the good is our highway to heaven. That is our highway. That's our only way. Actually, there's one more question that I would like to add, and that is question 953. When individuals see an inevitable and terrible death in front of them, is it wrong to shorten their suffering by a few moments through intentional death? Now that is a very modern question, right friends? Because for example, I know that in Oregon, the state north of us in California, we're here in California, it is the law, you can actually take your life uh, very sick. In other words, when you're facing um, death from, you know, so your physical body will be um, expiring soon, you are legally allowed to take your life. Now, let us see what the spirit's perspective, what the spirit's perspective from on high is on that. Well, they're saying it is always wrong not to wait for the term set by God. Besides, how can they tell with certainty whether their time has indeed come? question, right? Despite appearances or whether they might receive some unexpected help at the last moment. We never know. There have been cases of people who've been terminably sick of cancer and they actually kind of died. The near-death experience, their, their vital signs were gone. 
they came back and they cured themselves. There is um, Moriani, what's her first name? There's a lady from India. She experienced that, for example. She's all over the internet and she encourages people to help themselves when they're sick of cancer or any other disease. And the heart, it's lack of love that causes us to get sick. And that is my experience as well. I have suffered from cancer myself and I have not done any allopathic medicine and I dove deep into that matter and I had another illness that always almost ravaged my life and every single time I've come to the conclusion that the root cause was that I did not feel loved. We're going to talk about that in a moment because that in itself is not exactly the right thinking but all disease is a disease of the heart. Now that is my personal experience and there was opinion that that is the root cause of um, because when our hearts are closed we run fear and it is like a teeter-totter we either have fear and the heart is closed or the heart opens and fear goes away fear and an open heart can't exist side by side and we do run a lot of fear here in our cultures in our culture so back to our question so this was just my own diatribe trap a little bit of an aside my own experience with illness but here's question 953, so do we have the right to take our lives? And the answer is no, because A, we never know. We just don't have a right to take our lives and we don't know what happens last minute. We might still find a cure. And then he says, it displays a lack of resignation when we take our lives, you know, when we're very sick. It displays a lack of resignation and of submission to the will of the creator. If it's God's will for us to still suffer or be sick, or maybe be cured, we need to surrender to that. We cannot take our lives. Thanks to Alan Kardec and his diligent work and the beautiful spirits on high who are helping us understand it all. And I'm seeing more friends. Renata Casaday, we said hi already. Tony, Carolyn Correa, dear friend, so nice to see you. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. And Lisa Telles, dear friend, nice. Thank you so much for joining. And Karina Lisi, so lovely to have you. Thank you, friends. So, so our suicide cases, page um, 385 in Heaven and Hell. And our first case, case is called, the so now I went online because I wanted to kind of flesh it out a little bit. What is the Samaritan? I think that's how the French say it. My French is not very good. I had some of it in, in school. But the Samaritan, I have a picture here and I'm gonna to try to show it to you. It was a pump, a water pump. Can you guys see it? I hope you do. This, it was a water pump in, built in the 16th century. And of course, this case happened in the 19th century. And it was built on the Pont Neuf and there was a water pump and as you can see there is also a bell tower not a bell tower there's a clock tower and of course in those days there weren't any any cell phones or people didn't have wristwatches so those towers those clock towers um, were part of um, a regular city scene so there was a pump and our case went to this pump in order to take a bath now the Pont Neuf means the new bridge. It is actually at the time when it was built, it was the newest bridge of the Seine. The Seine is the river running through Paris 
to the other. However, the Pont Neuf is in the meantime, the oldest bridge that's still dating from those days. All the other bridges were taken down and are not present anymore. But the Pont Neuf is the bridge on which this pump was. And today, so hold on, I wanna, I wanna go, um, there was more. So today there is a big uh, department store built in this spot. See friends, it's called Le Samaritain related to the Sam Samaritan, which was the lady who at the um, who met Jesus at the um, at the well, you know the story. And there was a, a sculpture on this bridge next to the pump that displayed that scene of Jesus's days. And that's why it was called that way. So that is kind of like the historic backdrop. So we're in Paris. We're on the Pont Neuf on April 7th, 1858. And it was around 7 p.m. So that's the picture. About 50 years of age appeared at the establishment of the Samaritan in Paris and ordered a bath to be prepared. After about two hours and surprised that the client had not called him, the steward on duty decided to enter his room to see if he was indisposed. When the steward entered the room, he saw a hideous sight. The wretch had slit his own throat with a razor bow, and the bath water was saturated with vanity, could not be verified. The body was taken to the morgue. So it was a well-dressed man of about 50 years old. Nobody knew his name. But checked himself in to take a bath and he killed himself with a razor blade. So this man's spirit was evoked at the Parisian society, Spiritist Society, six days after his death. And that was a surprise because he was not linked to Spiritism. Where are you right now? He was asked and he answered, I don't know. Tell me where I am. And then he was asked, you are at a meeting of people who study Spiritism. We mean you well, he was told. He answers, tell me if I'm alive or not, because I am suffocating in this coffin. So here's the subtext. Even though his soul had separated from his body, it is still completely immersed in what might be called the vortex of corporeal matter. His earthly ideas are so acute that he thinks he is not dead. He still thinks he is not dead. Now that is because his Paris spirit, which is the link of our soul to our physical form, has not been severed yet. The links have not been severed. When we experience a sudden death, the Paris spirit is still linked to the physical form. And so sensations and pain are still being felt. So this man was confused. He felt he suffocated in the grave. What drove you to commit so I am dead? Me? No, I'm in my body, he answers. You don't know how much I'm suffering. I'm suffocating. I wish some compassionate hand would finish me off. So he's definitely confused. He does not know that he's lost his body. Why didn't you leave behind any clues that would be used to identify you? He answers, I am abandoned. I fled suffering only to find torture. Let us pause for a moment. 
Isn't that what suicide cases to find relief from their pain? Only, unfortunately, to find more torture. And that is lack of education, right friends? So this, this is why we're doing this. We're studying these cases. We're looking, we're reading and studying the Spirits book and all the other beautiful books that came from spirit, the illuminated spirits to understand what this thing, death, actually is, what we're experiencing here. And the more we're educating ourselves, the less we have fear, the more we are prepared, and the less our time of confusion will be after our, our, um, the death of our physical form. But let us move on. So he thought he would alleviate his pain, but he didn't. It got worse. Could you give us your name? He said, absolutely not. Did you have a family, wife, or children? I was abandoned. No one loved me. Let us listen to that. No one loved me. What did you do in order not to be loved by anyone? Good question. How many there are like me, he answers. When no one loves me, him, a man can feel abandoned even in the midst of his own family. Isn't that something that a lot of us are feeling? We feel alienated. We feel lonely. We feel depressed as a result. We don't feel loved. We don't feel appreciated. We don't feel recognized. We don't feel seen or heard. It causes us despair. And what we're doing is we're expecting it to come from the outside in. This morning at Bisea Spiritual Healing Center, we had a beautiful talk that was based on Neil Lucio's spirit as uh, Jesus in the home. It was based on chapter 19. Friends, you may remember it. And so, sorry, Tony, I'm not going to go over it as much in detail as this morning, but it is a beautiful story that actually helps us to understand. He felt lonely, he felt abandoned, he felt despair, he didn't feel loved. So in this story, the recipe for happiness, in other words, our friend here who committed suicide did not feel happy, right friends? So the, what is the recipe for happiness? Well, there was Thaddeus that night who met with Jesus in Simon Peter's home. And he was very unhappy and impassioned about the political situation at the time, in which he blamed all the hardship in that time's life world. And Jesus asked him, well, Thaddeus, what would you like to be personally, truly happy? How would that look like, look like for you, Thaddeus, for you to be truly and personally happy? And then Thaddeus makes a long list. He says, and we're summarizing, it's a beautiful story that we invite you to read because it is fantastic for us to understand something very important. Thaddeus takes this question and goes running with it. He says, I would like to be understood. Ask ourselves the same question. What makes us happy? What helps us to make feel happy? Well, Thaddeus wants to feel understood. And I'm sure we want to feel understood as well. Then he says he would like not to feel any disdain from other people. And he would like to be acknowledged in his sincere intentions 
of doing the right thing. Then he says that he could trust others more if he received some consideration. He longs for the consideration and of his high ideals. He thinks he deserves it. Very important. He also longs for respect and he doesn't like slander. He does not want to be subject or victim to slander. He also wants to receive cordiality from others. He wants to be treated kindly and he wants respect. And he doesn't like indifference and he longs for sarcasm and suspicion to leave the earth. And he does not want everyone to believe in God. And cruelty, no, it's another thing that does not make him happy. So he wants that to be gone as well. And he would like to be seen, regarded for all the goodwill he brings to, to the plate. And he would like people to see the goodwill in him rather than his imperfections. I'm wondering where you are at right now. Are you sitting at home and you're saying, yeah, that's exactly perfect. I am loose would make me happy. It would make my life easier. Right, friends? I think we can all agree on that. Well, then Tadeus summarizes it and he says, in short, Master, I would like to be understood, respected and held in esteem. We want that too. And then the disciples all look at Jesus wide-eyed because now they're expecting him to give them a long answer of what he thinks, what causes or creates happiness in all of us. Jesus, however, on the disciple, crystal clear eyes and said, frankly, yet kindly. What a beautiful mix. Frankly, yet kindly. And what did he say? Today is, if you desire happiness and contentment from the entire world, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. In other words, treat others the way you would like to be treated. So here is Tadeus wanting all these things from the outside, right? He wants respect. He wants, yes, he wants to be seen. It's all coming from the outside and that's what makes him happy. However, the problem with that is we can't always get this from the outside. And when we don't get it, then we might end up like our friend, the suicide, who felt abandoned. He didn't feel loved. He was surrounded by his family and he did not feel, he didn't get these things from the outside world. And here's Jesus in his brilliance. He turns it around and he says, it's from the inside out. Whatever you want from the outside, respect. Let us give it, because by giving, we receive. It is such a simple concept, and yet it is so amazing that we forget about it very often, right, friends? We often forget. I see on social media so many people as I deserve to be loved, as deserve to be treated better. You know, it's all about coming from the outside, and we forget that it is in serving, in giving what we want. That's where our salvation lies. That hearts get healed and open up. That's how we stay healthy or how we heal ourselves. And that is unfortunately the one thing that led our, our spirit friend here to suicide. And I'm 
postulating that there is many, 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 many people like this on this planet or if they don't take their lives for that core reason, medicating, drugs, addictions. But now we know we need to turn it around and we give what we don't receive. And if we are being treated with slander and disrespect and harshness, what do we do? We turn the other cheek. We return good for evil. In other words, we use again the golden rule. We give what we would like to receive, even to the same people. And we're not expecting anything in return. We're not attaching a hidden price tag to it. Because if we do, we're setting ourselves up again for the dependency to receive from the outside rather than the golden rule. Exactly. Teresa, the connection is not good for you. Yeah, I don't know whether it's on my end. It might be on my end or whether it's on your end. I'm so sorry, friend. I don't know what to do about it. I'm not on Wi-Fi. Hippolyto, nice to see you, dear friend. I'm not on Wi-Fi. I'm trying to work off of the... Um, maybe I could try somewhere on Wi-Fi, whether it is um, better. All right, so we're going back. So we learned we need to turn it around. So if we don't fall into the trap of feeling abandoned and not loved, we give it. When you were about to commit suicide now, the next question for him was, didn't you feel any hesitation? He says, no, I was eager to die. I expected rest. And that is one of those wrong expectations. But we now know better that we're just adding to our long list of expiratory issues and we're prolonging our ascent. It will make our lives more difficult and more painful if we don't surrender to God's will and don't recognize that we are blessed beings as a result of our afflictions because it gives us the opportunity, God gives us the opportunity to undo past wrongs. So next question, what thoughts came to you as you felt your life slipping away? I didn't think, I felt. I find that interesting. So, you know, there is, there is some consciousness there, right? So he, he distinguishes between thinking and feeling. So, because the question is, what thoughts came to your mind? He says, I didn't think, I felt. He had the emotions, that, that's what drove him. But my life hasn't come to an end, he says. My soul is still connected to my body. I can even feel the worms devouring me. Wow, that is intense. And of course, why would he feel the worms devouring him? Because his connection between the perispirit and the physical form are not severed. It's a sudden death. There, is no, there was no time to slowly loosen the connection that is formed molecule by molecule between our physical form and the Paris spirit. Let us go to the spirits book. And it is on page 214, part two of the spirits book, chapter six, and it is titled Spirit Life. And there is the whole chapter is dedicated to perceptions, sensations, and sufferings of spirits. Super interesting, very educational. So we're not going to read all of this because obviously you have the book, but we're going to pick and choose something out of the theoretical essay on the sensation in spirits. Because here 
we, we hear that our friend is feeling his body being devoured by worms. And it's interesting because here actually Alan Kardec um, takes this example to go deeper into it. So we're going to pick out a few things. So first off, the perispirit is the link that unites the spirit with the matter of the body. We know that, right? It is drawn from the environment, from the universal fluid. So our perispirit is drawn from the universal cosmic fluid, which is kind of like the sea we swim in, so to speak. We can't see it. But everything is a form, it comes from that universal cosmic fluid, and so does the perispirit. The perispirit is also the agent of external sensations. Now that's important for why he feels his body being devoured. So he is now excarnated. In other words, he has a spirit and his spirit, he is a spirit, and as a spirit he's surrounded, he has the perispirit around his, his soul, his spirit. So the perispirit that our friend has is also the agent of external sensations. In the body, these sensations are localized in the organs that serve as their channels. So if I pinch myself on the cheek, uh, it's the cheek right there, that's what hurts. And if I have um, you know, some kind of a bladder infection, it's the organ of the bladder that hurts. So the sensations in our physical form are localized in the body via the organs, through the organs. When the body is destroyed now, the sensations become generalized. So they're not as specific because there is no organs there anymore. So now the sensations become generalized. And that is why a spirit does not say that it suffers more in its head than in its feet because it's not, it's not localized anymore. It's generalized, the sensations, right? So then he says the pain the spirits feel is not physical pain per se. It is a vague inner sensation of which the spirit is not always aware because the pain is not localized or produced by an outside agent. So remember, the pain is now generalized. There are no organs that will condense it into certain spots. Now, we're building up on that. Then he says, experience has taught us that the perispirit disengages itself more or less slowly from the body at the moment of death. So if, for example, a person has a long drawn out disease, little by little, the perispirit disengages from the body more and more, which in the end makes that final disconnection from the physical form much easier than if a 50 year old slits his throat and boom, the body dies, but all the connections are still there, right? So during the first few moments, the spirit does not comprehend its situation generally. It does not think it has died because it feels alive. And this is what our friend is going through. He has no idea. He still feels one with his body. It sees its body at its side and knows that it is its own, but does not understand why they're separate. That's why the denial of our friend saying, I'm not dead, I'm still connected, I still have a body. He's not aware of it yet. This state, this confusion, like feeling you're still one with the body, lasts as long as there is a link between the body and the perispirit. Makes sense, right? 
And now this is interesting. Now he refers exactly to this case and that's why we picked this out. A suicide once said to us, no, I'm not dead. That's our friend. And added, even so, I can feel the worms devouring me. So this is the quote from the case we're studying tonight. Of course, the worms were not devouring the Paris spirit. And we know that too. The worms were devouring his physical body, let alone the spirit. So the worms were not devouring his spirit either, but only the body, right? So the worms were only devouring the body, not the Paris spirit and not the spirit. Since the separation between the body and the perispirit was not yet complete, there continued to be a mental repercussion that transmitted the sensation to the body. So the perispirit was still attached, producing an illusion which was taken as real. So the fact that our friend felt, A, it was an illusion that he was still connected to his body, and as a result of this illusion, he also felt that his body was devoured by the worms. And it's as a result of him not having the connection between the perispirit and the physical form yet dissolved. Then he says, thus, it was not a memory of a past occurrence that, that this guy had. Its body had never been devoured by worms during his life, but a current sensation that was transmitted mentally and so he felt a sensation of the worms devouring him however they were just devouring the physical his physical form so when we study the study now during life the body receives impressions and transmits them to the spirit via the perispirit right so we experience um, we experience impressions and they are transmitted from our spirit via the perispirit to the physical organs, to the body. When our bodies are dead, the, when we're dead, the body no longer feels anything because it has neither spirit nor perispirit. It's inert matter. The body doesn't feel anything anymore. So when our friend feels his body being devoured by worms, he doesn't feel it in the body because the body is dead. He can't feel it anymore. It's tricky, isn't it? I hope you can follow me. When disengaged from the body, the perispirit experiences sensations. So when the body is disengaged from the perispirit, then the perispirit experiences sensations. And that's what our friend felt. But since sensations no longer reach it via a limited channel, it becomes generalized. Since the perispirit is only an agent of transmission, because only the spirit possesses consciousness, only the spirit possesses consciousness, not the perispirit and not the body, we may deduce that if the perispirit could exist without the spirit, if the perispirit could exist without the spirit, the perispirit would feel no more than the dead body. Perispirit alone on its own would not feel anything either because it's our feeling, our sensations are coming from the spirit. Likewise, if the spirit had no perispirit, it would be inaccessible to any painful sensations whatsoever. So it is via the perispirit, the link of the soul to the perispirit that we feel the sensations. And of course, that's only when we're excarnated, when we're incarnated, then it's in the body. We know that the more a spirit purifies itself, the more etherealized the essence of the pair spirit becomes. And in that case, 
that material influences have less of an impact on the peri-spirit. But our friend was not an evolved spirit. He took his life, his connections were not severed yet, so he fell prey to the illusion that he was still one with his body and he felt generalized feelings in his peri-spirit of his body being devoured by worms. It is funny because then, um, hold on, no, he says, um, you might say this entire theory is not very reassuring. We had thought that once freed from our dense envelope, the instrument of our pains, we wouldn't suffer anymore, right? And that is why our friend took his life, because he thought all suffering had come to an end. Now you're telling us that we can continue to suffer. Whether it is one way or another, it is suffering nonetheless. It doesn't matter whether we suffer through our physical form, localized in organs, or generalized in our peri-spirit. It's still suffering. It's a different form of suffering, but we can't escape the suffering. We can only escape the suffering through our inner transformation. Aelus, or Alice, yes, we can still suffer a great deal and for a long time after excarnation, but we might also no longer experience any suffering at all from the moment we leave this corporeal life once we have become more evolved spirits. So there are no shortcuts. The only way is through the pain. The only way is to surrender to God's will. The only way is education. Both intellectually, that's one wing, as Emmanuel puts it in, a, in the beautiful book, Thought in Life, that we educate our minds to understand how these principles work, what happens in every single situation, and including excarnation and life after life. And then on the other hand is our education in the moral sense, that we ex actually um, work on our inner transformation, that we bring love and charity to this world. And that is where our consolation, that's where we become purified. Our consolation lays, our purification will be. Let us go back and wrap up this case. We're almost done here. So then, let us see. So he feels the devouring. Then he's being asked, does this state always occur in those who commit suicide? Yes, the answer is. This suicide spirit remains connected to the body until the time his life was supposed to have ended otherwise. Now that's pretty grim. However, in um, the spirits book, we found a section where it says that every case is of course different because it's never black and white, right? It's complex. There's many lifetimes that are falling into the consideration of what really exactly happens. There's circumstances, why certain people take their lives and, and, and you know, what is all around it. So it's the lens is at least bifocal, maybe try a quadruple focal. It's not just cookie cutter, so to speak. So when here, when, when we learn um, from, you know, the illuminated spirit here, yes, the suicide spirit remains connected to the body until the time his life was supposed to have ended otherwise, is not always apparently 
100% the case. It depends on each case. But generally, that's apparently what happens. And that's pretty awful if you think how many young people take their lives. And if they were supposed to only excavate when they're 80, and so that means being connected to their bodies for, the, for 60, 70 years, that's heavy, isn't it, friends? That's something... Um, it's something though we need to know about so that we see that it is not taking our lives is not an attractive option it's not an option at all as a matter of fact and besides we as we learned earlier we have no right to take our lives so natural death is liberation from earthly life suicide shatters it entirely and we're adding to our long list of expiation of things of wrongdoings law of cause and effect it's never punishment it is always just the effect of the cause namely our actions create a reaction an effect so after this he um oh yeah so there's one more question i want to add here so now the question is, does the same apply to accidental deaths, which are independent of one's will and would shorten the natural duration of one's life? And the answer is no. The same does not apply to accidental deaths. A spirit is only guilty for its own deeds. So it's a different situation. Um, however, even in accidental deaths, sometimes, you know, I mean, we can imagine that the Paris spirit was not prepared to loosen itself from the physical form so um, there could be prolonged pain there too as a result and then in the small print after the explanation we're not going to go into all the details um, of that but at the end um, Alan Carter gives us one more point that I would like to add and that is regarding the worms that our friends felt in his body the sensation of the worms and the body's decomposition is not just limited to suicides, but happens quite often among those who live the material more than the spiritual life. So, once again, we are invited and reminded of the fact that working on our inner transformation, educating ourselves of how we can turn ourselves increasingly and always and consistently more to the good, as Emmanuel puts it in Thought in Life, how we visualize the good, feel the good, mold the good with all the resources we have. And that is our salvation. This is how Emmanuel puts it, how we undo the shackles that we created, we put on our own soul as a result of our past wrongs. These shackles we molded on ourselves for ourselves and to undo them there is only one way and that is doing the good the golden rule treating others the way we would like to be treated serving always charity charity benevolence goodwill towards all indulgence towards others imperfections and always forgiveness and when we feel down and out and abandoned and unloved and unrecognized and un-everything, what do we do? We apply the golden rule. We give exactly the one thing that we're missing. 
the one thing we're longing for and more, we turn around and we give it. And then the abundance, the, it's our prayer to God to receive the shower of love, to receive what we are longing for. And we must not expect it from other human beings because we may not get it. If we think, I'm going to treat this person, I'm giving all these things to this person, and now we have a hidden price tag there, and thinking that somehow we're getting something back, that's not charity, that's not doing the good, that's a business deal. Then we're expecting something back. And we better communicate what we want back and not keep it a secret because then we're causing a lot of problems for ourselves and others. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining and let please allow me to close our beautiful session with a prayer. Dear Mother, Father, God, it is with immense gratitude that we have gathered here tonight to commune with you, with our beloved Jesus, our guide and model, to learn and understand what it means to discarnate, what it means to take a life, to understand the repercussions, to understand that we do not have the right to take our lives, but rather turn around and recognize our suffering as a beautiful opportunity to undo our past wrongs, to never feel alone or lonely, to never feel abandoned, but rather know that God and the Good Spirits are always on our side, ready to serve us, support us, console us, and that we can do our share by giving what we would like to receive, to always be charitable, to always return good for evil. And we're reminded of the beautiful prayer by St. Francis, and we would like to share it once again as it displays, as it shows us the golden rule in action in the most beautiful, concise, divine way. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O oh, Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my soul, for it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you for this blessed opportunity. And we ask him for permission to close tonight's 
study session. Thank you, dear friends. Thank you so much for joining. So God willing, we will meet again next week, same time, and we will all dive into another suicide case. Have a blessed week and much love. See you.